Welcome, everyone, to episode 165 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode, we flash back thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years to get a glimpse of what humanity was first like when the Eternals arrived in this year's third of four MCU films. But before we get to that, with me, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, how are you doing on this November day? Uh, I'm doing just fine. It's been a quieter weekend which is good because you know i've had a few busy ones here uh with going to the film festival last weekend yeah um yeah just you know doing watching some football all that stuff wake forest finally lost their first game of the season um which of course was a huge bummer because uh my friends and i had planned to go to the game next week we already have tickets um for the nc state game and we're like oh this will be great they'll both team both teams are going to be ranked Wake's still going to be undefeated, and then they turned around and lost. But that's what happens when you play no defense. So, uh, <laughs> But the game did not count as a conference game for weird reasons. Um, Who they played? I won't get into. They played UNC, but it did not count as a conference game, uh, okay. which I, I won't explain because our, our listeners probably aren't that interested in it, but I can explain it to you later if you would like. But sure. um, Anyway, they're still undefeated in the ACC, and they could still very easily make the ACC championship. So there's still a lot to play for in the game, which is exciting. And more importantly, Tennessee did win uh, against Kentucky because that's what Tennessee does against Kentucky. Except for last year. And, uh, you, I mean, except and to be for, fair, you, except for three times in the last 36 years. <laughs> and to be fair, you think you, on this podcast, you're not allowed to complain about referee decisions for at least a few weeks. After after the end of the game. Well, yeah. So, yes, that was a bad call. Number one, though, I will say that Tennessee doesn't ever get the benefit of those. And number sure. two, number sure. two, I, Kentucky ended up converting the fourth and 24 right after that. I so mean, it yes, but they would have been 15 point. yard, 15 yards further up the field. Yeah. The yeah. Place. But yeah, yeah, I still think it kind of became a moot point. But yeah, they would have right. been in field goal range from the penalty. Yeah, that that's. That's probably true. Yeah, that's probably true. We don't know what would have happened yeah. on the subsequent. No, we don't. Though. We don't. And I, and that's not to say that you yeah. have mi- haven't had missed calls in the past. But I'm just saying, can't talk about bad calls in the look, podcast for a few weeks. Yeah, look, I, I, yeah, I totally agree. I agree. It was yeah. a bad call. He clearly got his face mask. Um, but I just think SEC referees are just absolute the absolute <laughs> scum of the earth, and every team <laughs> should get to every team should get to experience that because Tennessee had a win stolen from them against Ole Miss this year. So. Gotcha. Well, to go from one topic that our listeners don't care about to another topic that they may care about, but will also just sound like gibberish after I finish talking about uh, the beginning of this movie with all the names I'm about to say. Uh, As already mentioned, today's topic of conversation will be Best Director winning Chloe Zhao's follow-up to Nomadland, which is, of of course, her ensemble MCU film, Eternals. Eternals starts in 5000 BC when 10 individuals who we learn are alien beings called Eternals are sent by the all-powerful celestial Arashim to defend the planet Earth from a race of beings called simply the Deviants. Led by Selma Hayek's Ajax, the Eternals spend the coming millennia defending humanity from the Deviants, eventually eradicating them in roughly 1500 AD 
all the while avoiding interfering with human-against-human conflict. Flash forward to the present day, and the Eternals appear to be living apart. Jimmy Chan's Cersei is living in London, having separated from her Eternals partner Icarus, played by Richard Madden, and instead now forges a relationship with human Dane Whitman, played by Richard Madden's Game of Thrones brother, Kit Harington. Along with fellow Eternal Sprite, played by Liam McHugh, Cersei and Dane are shockingly attacked by an evolved deviant. Icarus comes to the rescue, and the Eternals know something must be afoot, and immediately set out to reunite the group, including Ajax, Angelina Jolie's Thena, Kumail Nanjiani's Kingo, Don Lee's Gilgamesh, Barry Keoghan's Druig, Lauren Ridloff's Makari, and Brian Tyree Henry's Fastest. Scott, does Eternal's all-star ensemble cast, darker sci-fi tone, and humanist approach from Chloe Zhao wow you and set this entry apart as a new sub-franchise within the MCU, or does it fall short of the high bar set by Chloe Zhao's most recent work? Phase four, more like phase bore, am I right? Um, yeah, this movie was rough, Scott. Uh, and And look, I was looking forward to... Well, I, there was a time when I was looking forward to the movie because you certainly were not looking forward to this movie yes. on Friday. When there was, that. That's why I say there was a time uh, a long time ago when I was looking forward to it because of Chloe Zhao. Right. She made my favorite film of last year, Nomadland, um, my 47th favorite film of all time, by the way, um, Nomadland. And, you know, I'm, I, you know, I was excited to see what she could bring to the MCU because I felt, you know, she would be able to bring something different. For sure. I mean, you know, her other films, um, not just Nomadland, but The Writer and Songs My Brother Taught Me um, are, you know, just very quiet, simple, you know, humanist. Have you seen either of those films? I haven't, no. But, um, you know, I'm familiar with her style. Um, Yeah, I mean, very humanist approach. Yeah. And, you know, which is not what you associate with the MCU. Um, (laughs) So I thought... Yeah, this could be this could be an interesting, you know, experiment to see e- experiment in the sense that, you know, are they going to let Chloe Zhao make a Chloe Zhao movie or is this going to be just like a creative tug of war um, yeah. that doesn't really lead to anything satisfying? Uh, but then, you know, the trailer, sh- the trailer came out and the runtime was revealed of the movie and. I started getting very concerned about this movie. Um, there were early reviews that weren't good, which. I think I said at the time, I didn't really know what to make of that because, you know, the the re- early reviews for Marvel movies nowadays are typically just the same shills just, you know, uh, pissing themselves practically over how this is the best Marvel movie that's ever been made. Or vice um, versa. Yes, but I mean, this was the first MCU film to to have a rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. So I will, you yeah, know, I will say th- that. this film is not worse than some of the really bad Marvel mo- phase one Marvel movies, in my opinion. It, just in my opinion. Yeah, I'll uh, say that. Yeah, I mean, sure, sure. I mean, Iron Man two is pretty bad. I will say that. Iron Thor: Man The Dark World. This thing. This is not worse than Thor. The I, and yeah, and I haven't seen Thor: The Dark World. I haven't. Um, this is probably either my my least favorite or second least favorite MCU movie that I've seen. Um, to be quite honest, with Iron Man two being the other one that I just I don't like at all. Um, it is it is long. It is boring. It is incomprehensible at times i mean the movie opens with an an opening crawl and i almost started laughing like 20 seconds into the movie because like the first it it opens with this opening crawl like the first three sentences 
are just a bunch of words that make no sense to you. Um, and I was, I was trying to find it online beforehand just to see if I could, uh, you know, just read the sentences, but, um, I couldn't find it anywhere. But anyway, uh, I knew from the very beginning, I was like, this is going to be rough. Um, and it was, I mean, and you know, a lot of people have been talking about whether they have liked it or not liked it. Oh, that this is such a different MCU film. There are things that are different about it. But ultimately, the things I don't like about the movie are the things that I don't like about a lot of MCU movies. Um, the visuals, I think, are not very good, um, which is crazy, given, you know, that um, Chloe Zhao's last movie, that Nomadland, was a beautiful movie to look at. Um, I think this movie has the same sort of gray, brown, washed out landscapes, you know, that we see so often in MCU movies. I mean, we I just complained about it in Shang-Chi and the third act of Shang-Chi, um, how we got that sort of thing. It just it's visually uninteresting to look at. Um, and I think the characters as well are very uninteresting. Um, that's not now that's not necessarily something that like I say about all, a lot of Marvel movies. So that that doesn't fall into the camp of like, oh, these are things I disliked. And I also dislike about a lot of other movies. But um, yeah, like another example is the humor in this movie. There's they just can't really ever let an emotional moment just be an emotional moment. Like there always has to be some sort of punchline. Um, and they're typically not very funny, in my opinion. I mean, I didn't find that many jokes in this movie funny. Um, so that was annoying. Um, I, I don't. Yeah, again, I, going back, I don't find the characters super interesting. Um I'm struggling to think of even one that I thought was like, oh, I would like to see more from this character in the future. I think it just suffers from like, Druig. you know, the the weight of its un ensemble. Yeah, he's probably the one, Barry Keoghan's character is probably the one if I had to pick one. But it just suffers under the weight of like you have just this massive ensemble of heroes that you have to introduce. And yeah. you can't, there's just not really that much time afforded to any of them. Um and, you know, you either have like, you know, Jimma Chan as sort of a quote unquote lead who honestly, I found her to be rather boring in this role, along with a lot of the rest of the movie. Or you have like Ryan Tyree Henry and Kumail Nanjani who are just there to just make jokes like that's basically their characters. Um, and that's just a waste in my opinion, I mean, especially Brian Tyree Henry. He's a great actor um, and we've seen him do really, you know strong dramatic work in you know like if bill street could talk is one scene in that movie for example um is very powerful and it's, here they just single they, scene <laughs> yeah i mean it is though uh they really sidelined him here to just be sort of a comic relief character his, his role felt. is just to be sidelined in movies at this point i don't think he's had a significant yeah i know major it's, role it sucks it really does um and i mean this is more of a major role but again like the actual role that he plays in the film is just comic relief for the most part um well, he's gonna be the actions uh, the actions uninteresting i found you know going back to the visuals i found the design of the deviants to just be really bland and basic um you know creature design like i didn't find anything really creative about the way that this um you know creatures deviant the deviants like i said were were designed um I, you know, I felt felt like that was that was rough. Um, I think the 
there are references, you know, they just, the, the references to like the greater MCU, um, you know, universe were very shoehorned in and just kind of annoying. Like, like, like you what? know, right. See, this was a complaint you were, you were messing me after. And I, I can't wrap my head around. Like, I don't understand what you're, what you mean by this complaint. Well, well like right at the very beginning, they're like, well, if you guys were around for all this time, then where were you in, you know, when Thanos showed up? And it's just like this, like expositional, like eye rolly moment of like, oh, clearly they're just like trying to anticipate what the, you know, the criticisms are going to be of like, well, if these characters existed, like, you know, why weren't they involved in any of the movies before this or whatever? And I just like, I want, I wanted to see, you know, Chloe Zhao just make her own movie. Like, I didn't want to think about the greater implications of what is going on in the movie. We can save that for the future. We can throw that in the post-credit scene. Sure. Let's, but this you film know, doesn't let's talk, have... but this film, it does operate almost exclusively in its own world without any implications for future movies until the post-credit scenes. Well, I think it does. I think it, a lot of it does, which is why when I felt like they did try to reference other stuff outside the MCU, like there's a whole, ugh, there's a whole dinner t table conversation where they're talking about like, oh, who's going to be the next Iron Man or who's going to be the next Steve Rogers and all of that. And I'm like, what? Like, why are we, why are we even getting into this? Um, and it, yeah, I just, I, that's why when those things come up, it just feels really out of place, I guess is what I'm saying. Because yeah, I mean, a large part of the movie is kind of trying to do its own thing. But unfortunately, I didn't find the thing it was trying to do very interesting. I don't think Chloe Zhao is really able to show off the humanist qualities that she has in other movies. I mean, I, I think like the, you know, the central thematic thrust of the movie is really just sort of watered down um you know it's it's kind of just like this debate about human existence and you know what does it need to continue like the the all the tragedy that humans have you know wreaked um that there's i mean there's like a religious aspect to it in a way of like um you know these cre these characters have come down and it's like what is their obligation to society right are they supposed to pre prevent all you know tragic all of these tragedies from happening like they freaking go to hiroshima and all this stuff um or is it you know to kind of let mankind do what it does and learn its lesson from that but i just don't feel like the movie ever really says anything about that like it just it sets that up but then mm -hmm. it just doesn't really like have an ultimate opinion on any of that um which again i feel like is kind of a, a marvel thing to just kind of like have some interesting ideas there, but to not really engage with them because you're afraid of like alienating any part of the audience. Um, when ultimately these movies are just trying to get the biggest audience as possible. So yeah, I got to say in, in conclusion, I know I've rambled on there for a little bit probably, but in conclusion, um, I am really starting to question the future of the MCU post Endgame because I mean obviously we both loved Endgame um, I, and and I'm wondering now should it have I mean it was never going to end there of course right like just in in today's modern you know movie landscape it was never going to end there and it's it's probably never going to end period um, but I, I you know I, again for me at least long term I question. What is what am I going to be getting out of these movies going forward? Because if these are the characters that we're introducing as the future of the MCU, um, I'm not sure that I'm going to be super interested in where that's going. 
Yeah, look, I think the truth is, is that most of phase one wasn't very good in the MCU. It was very average. You know, I'm not saying I think prob- they're probably like Iron. The original Iron Man is better than this. Iron Man 2 isn't better than this. The Thor original isn't... Iron Man is the second best MCU movie, in my opinion. But yeah, Thor is maybe a little bit better than this. Uh, Captain America is probably about the same level as this. And like the first one, in my opinion, like th- those movies were not great movies like most of the great like besides iron man most of the great mcu movies i mean hulk hulk is worse than this movie like most of the great mcu movies don't come until their characters are established again and so if we're just talking long i know i'm like jumping way ahead i just responded to the last thing you said i definitely share some of your concern although i like chang chi um i like spider-man and I, and I did too but yeah again it was just the third act of that movie that really brought it down but yeah shang chi is like you know the one thing that i have hope for going forward but you know just some of the other stuff like but that, but that's like the only thing we know besides eternals going forward that's all we know yeah i i guess i'm unfairly roping black widow in there when you know black widow's done and actually the most interesting part of the movie is will will go is going to be yeah um continuing but um, I, I, look, I, I understand yeah. where your pessimism is coming from. I think that you're feeling um, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, so stop me if I am. But like, you, it sounds like you feel pretty jaded about this right now. The truth is, we're just getting way too many MCU movies this year, along with the TV shows. Like, there's yeah. four movies this year, four TV shows, not including What If, which is an animated show, but is still canon. I'm pretty sure. Um, like, there's just it's just too much. It's just too much this year. It's way too much. Um, they shouldn't be doing this. They they actually did. I don't know if we ever talked about it, but they delayed several of the like. They basically delayed all the movies next year back like a slot and reduced the number of years overall or reduce the number of movies overall next year in the MCU, which I think is a good decision. Um, Yeah, I I do think that this film just suffers from almost like a Justice League issue of like too many characters to introduce, not giving the individual characters time to develop or even almost endear themselves in, in some ways. And yeah, like I, like I don't have as many or as ser- like I guess as deep of problems as you do. Like I hear what you're saying around like the settings, like the forest, and you know maybe the beach towards the end of the movie. There, just let me finish. So let me finish. Just let me finish. Sorry. Uh, um, but I do think that like what Chloe Zhao and the producers for this film have accomplished is that I do think that like their powers, right? Like. I do think that is that is a visually more interesting element, and I do think that that provides provides some something more than just the what you might call like generic gray settings of, of the film. Now, go ahead and, and say what you want what you were going to say. Yeah, I was just going to say like there's a lot of scenes that are shot in the middle of the night, so it's very yep. dark, yep. and even when they are not shot in the middle of the night, it's almost like you can't even tell what time of day it is because it's just like. It's gray again. It's like overcast, even when, yeah. even when it might be like noon, it's like it's just it's just gray. Like it's just yeah. dull. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I I think that's fair. I, I, that doesn't weigh on me as much as much as it does you. And and again, I think with the the visual sort of flair that this provides in other respects, um, I, I find that to be a little bit offsetting of, of the negatives of these sort of more generic. I don't know what biomes. <laughs> I don't know biospheres that they that they go throughout the course of the different parts of the film. And and that's the thing because though because Chloe Zhao is known for like again like 
highlighting the natural beauty of the environments. And I felt like I think there are that parts was, of that in this film for that, me. There, there are flashes of it, but that was what really lacked. I don't disagree with you that I think like the powers and all that, like I think Cersei's power and stuff when she uses it is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but like, again, when, from a Chloe Zhao movie from no, you know, from watching Nomadland, I expected to see, you know, like, again, a lot of dark her, making, scenes in that. her making great use of the natural environments. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to go back and, you know, take another look at, at whether it would really, really bothers me that much. But I mean, for I, I would say for every dark scene in that movie, there's probably three there's or four sunset. that are. There's a sunset scene. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When she walks through, I mean, that's like one of the best scenes when she walks through the nomad camp and has the sunset and everything. Yeah. No, I, I just, I just say that because I, I think that you are calling out the, the generic looking scenes and not giving enough credit for some of the scenes that I think are visually more interesting, which is fine. That's okay. Um, all, but all that's to say, I think those scenes sort of exist in a lot of movies. I think it's it's painful that so many of them exist in these MCU films when you have things like Black Panther that look like they're shot entirely like either in these like really cool neon districts of yeah. of South Korea or you know this is like sun dappled Africa like you know you know I don't know like almost safari like Africa settings which is like much more visually appealing for sure um, and, and I think that there's a lot there's a lot to aspire to on that front but yeah no they are definitely there they are noticeable and they definitely add up. Um, over time no doubt about that i guess to, to back up because i did sort of jump to the almost the end um a, a little bit and, and talk more about sort of the overall ensemble yeah i i get or even backing out further than that like i think this film's just a big mess there's just so much happening in this movie but also sometimes feeling like nothing at all is happening which is just a really weird um sort of dichotomy uh you know there's so many people who have of course their own perspective and positions and oftentimes sometimes or sometimes even sit in the middle of, of like the two camps that this movie uh, has with the Eternals. And I don't know if this film gives you the chance to really understand why a lot of the people um, are where they're at in their, you know, perspective on on what the Eternals role should be. And this, you know, bigger meta level thematic question that it's asking about, you know, humanity and, um, you know, what is the what is the cost of a, of a life and, and whatnot, things like that. Um, yeah, I, I did. I did find myself liking a few of the characters uh, interested in them. Unfortunately, they seem to be the characters that were on the screen the least. Uh, I really liked Don Lee's character, Gilgamesh. Um, the humor that did work for me often was coming from him for the you know few scenes in the movie that that he appears in. Uh, I mean, I loved Barry Keoghan in this in this. He's wearing a black leather jacket in the second half of this, a couple scenes in this film that move me that deeply. Jacket. I do love the jacket, man. I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. I want more Barry Cuban in that black leather jacket. I just, I don't know what else to say. Um, and then Lauren Ridloff as Makari, as she's a deaf actress playing a deaf superhero. You know, that is one thing that we haven't mentioned yet. The as, as unengaging and uninteresting as some of the characters might be. One department which it does excel in, and I was texting, you know, friend of the pod Jay about this afterwards, is that, you know, there's just there is an incredibly positive amount of representation in this film. You know, you have the first South Korean superhero in this movie with Don Lee. You have the first Pakistani superhero in Kumail Nanjiani. You have the first deaf superhero in the MCU with Lauren Ridloff's Makari. Um, 
you know, it, it's it's actually really, really impressive. I mean, BRQ is probably the first Irish super. I'm, I'm kidding. But um, <laughs> I, I do think that the amount of representation, I mean, there's been a lot made of Brian Tyree Henry's gay gay character Fastos with his husband and, and son in this movie and review bombing on Rotten Tomatoes, I think, from audiences, you know, early on, which is, you know, the least maybe the least shocking thing about this release after things like Captain Marvel. But I, I think that it is really impressive sort of every everything from a representation standpoint that's being thrown at the screen. And I, and what I was texting Jay about is that it feels like this movie is walking so like future films can run. We don't have to have these kind of conversations and those films would be better for it. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I will say I will say on the flip side of like the review bombing and all that. You also have the hardcore fanboys who have been going after any critic who gives the movie a negative review and say, As being like, yeah, oh, sexist. Well, or, you don't like yeah. the movie because it has all of this representation and, and all this. Like, you know, ba- basically calling them racist. Weird take. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, so, like, I guess it's, it's, uh, of course, it's a positive step to have all this stuff depicted. But I think we need to be careful in like talking about that at all in reviews of the movie because ultimately it just, it doesn't have any bearing for me on whether I think the movie is good or not. Uh, like, sure. Maybe it, it is doing a moral good. But in terms of the actual quality of the movie, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't give it any, I don't give it any quality points because of that. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, but I don't think everything has to go back to a, like a statement of quality in a in a review. Sure. Though. I think that the the conversation, it's like having the conversation itself is an important part of progressing the industry and progressing the genre. Um, I think there's probably other examples we could we could sort of pick apart from other movies and other departments that do the same. You know, like something a movie can do something different, and the fact that it's doing something different can be a statement about the movie that's not, you know, inherent to its quality and or you know, enhancing yeah. or redu- and or reducing. I would dare say there's a movie out on Netflix this weekend that is also like that. Sorry, are we, talk- are we talking about the Heart of They Falls? That you're talking about? Yes, uh, a, okay. a movie that takes a traditionally white genre, yeah, uh, the western, and puts an all black cast in it. Absolutely. I can't wait to talk about that movie at least briefly ne- next week on our episode. I'm very excited about that. I showed that to a couple friends last night as well. And they, well, I actually don't know if one of them was thinking it or not, because I wasn't even sure if he was really watching the movie, but the other one was really into it. So <laughs> I'll take, I'll take the ones where I can get them. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, but overall, I do ultimately think this is a bit of a disappointment. I find, it's not that I even find the deviance as like uninteresting, I mean, they're one part of the villain segment, I guess, and one cohort of villains, if you will, in this movie. I'm not as negative on that. I do think like the evolving deviant is like an interesting idea. Um, And they're I kind of wish they almost leaned in and done done even more with it. Like I I kind of wish they cut out like the to talk maybe a little bit more about some heavy spoilers. So just checking in here if you do want to check out and. And not hear the spoilers we're about to talk about, but like I almost found that more interesting than the internal conflict within the Eternals. Like I, I would have been much more interested in something like the conversation or conversations that like Thena and this deviant, I think his name is Core, um, is having in like the the cave right before he she just like chops his head into five pieces. Which talk about just a weird ending to that arc. Um, just very abrupt, which I guess is refreshing because they didn't just like fight it out and she eventually stabs her or whatever. But like, yeah. I was just like, wow, what a weird ending to this, to this arc. Um, 
I almost would have been more interested for them to explore the thematic tones of of the deviants and the Eternals and, and and their connection more than whether Icarus is like right or wrong about like finishing the original mission Humanity being doomed yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Or like them just being like they are a necessary sacrifice to to bear mm-hmm. billions more lives into the universe. I don't know. That, that that's kind of that's kind of what I thought about about that. But we can these are all topics we can get into more later. I'm kind of just spewing everything right now, I guess. But yeah, a bit of a dis. I mean, a disappointment. This is a disappointment. I don't. I don't think this is. I mean, this is the worst movie for in the MCU and Rotten Tomatoes, which is just absurd to me. Um, but also maybe not surprising because even those movies that I think are worse than this one, um, they're safe, right? Like they're still they have like the MCU formula, like just sort of encoded into its like DNA where it has like at least somewhat charismatic leads with charming personalities and like, you know, your, I don't know, like token five to six jokes inserted throughout the movie and the good guys beat the bad guys and everyone celebrates at the end. Like I'm thinking about, you know, you know, you could, you can name me like your like weaker MCU movies. And I think they still fit into that formula and where I do, I think really disagree with you. Not about maybe I, I guess when we originally talked about this, you're you've elaborated a little bit more to me. But like, I do think this movie is very different than other MCU films. I think its tone is different. I think its intention and direction is is quite unique uh, from Chloe Zhao, even if she isn't successfully able to execute that sort of humanistic uh, angle in this film. I think it's clear that she's trying to accomplish that with, you know, some of the really brooding shots of Jimma Chan, like really wrestling with these sort of you know, philosophical questions about whether or not she should or shouldn't be um, saving humanity or or staying true to her original mission. I think there is a, a real take and this internal conflict in the Eternals is something that she's going for. I think the, the, the side, like the closest thing in terms of genre, like sci-fi would be to me would be guardians of the galaxy too. But the tone of these films are just so radically different than what James Gunn is doing with that movie. Like, I do think that, that like this film doesn't, this film doesn't feel like an MCU movie. To me, and I, and I know there are like surface things that you mentioned, Scott, that you can point to and be like, this is why it is similar to an MCU movie. But I almost find that to be like exceptions that prove like the rule that the film is different. Like these are the things that are similar across, between these and other MCU movies, but everything else feels different in, in the film. And I think that's why it sets itself apart. And I think that's what we talk about all the time. On, we talk about MCU movies, about how they do have these sort of interconnected tissue, but they are able to like sort of operate and live in different genres and different areas and different tones and be differentiated from each other. I think that that is true for Eternals for me. That isn't necessarily, that isn't even a statement on quality either, to be clear. It's just, I do think this film is different. And in some ways I, in its failings, I like that it's failing in different and not, the failings might be similar, but I'm like that it's, it's totally different, even though it may be failing in similar ways. Um, I find that to make it more watchable for me. I didn't find the movie that boring personally. I am probably more of a sci-fi person than you. And so the sort of like high, I don't know, high concept sci-fi crap this thing gets up to, I just find a little bit, I guess, more engaging than I don't want to say the average viewer, but but your experience might have been. I did. I maybe should have started with this. I also missed the first like three or four minutes of this movie in which Scott is, has elaborated on this wall of text at the beginning of the movie. I haven't seen that. I have no idea what it is. Haven't looked it up afterwards. I was strongly cautioned against doing it because I wouldn't even be able to read the words um, that they put on the screen. 
because they're just gibberish, apparently. Yeah. Which, you know, I always find that to be pretty bold. I mean, it's one thing when it's Star Wars and, you know, the original movie does it and then it becomes a bit like they're doing this not because you need to have everything explained to you, but because, like, it's a, it's Star Wars. They're doing this because they've done it before. Like, I walked in this movie three or four minutes late and I didn't really feel like I'd missed anything. Like, I didn't feel like I was missing some context that the opening crawl theoretically would have provided you know i just didn't really feel like it was necessary and i was joking with you before we started recording that if dune doesn't need an opening crawl god forbid eternals does not need an opening crawl uh yeah no i mean dune dune would have been the movie to do it in if there was going to be one but yeah i mean granted they basically gave you an opening crawl in the form of a like four minute monologue from yeah from chani but it works but but again i mean the movie does have it. This movie does have a dense plot. And like, I don't think I fully grasped everything that was going on at the end yeah. with the Unimind and all this, you know. Oh my God, the doing Unimind. There. Something I've completely uh, blocked out of my mind from this film. Like, the Unimind? They even joke that's like, oh, what a horrible name, but we're going to use it anyway. I'm like, did they run out of money in the writer's room to come up with something yeah. more more interesting? Again, than I, I, just, I just think, I think Chloe Zhao is uncomfortable with you know directing the you know machinations of this plot because she know, wrote again, it going back going back to nomad land she, she wrote she adapted it from a comic series but uh going back to nomad sure. land okay, sure. like, that movie has very is very light on plot um i don't i do not think that this is the this is the exact plot line from a comic book well i don't either but 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 yeah. my point is there <laughs> I don't think she had the creative control on this. Yeah, movie the Furpo, that she did the Furpo brothers, cousins, whatever. They they're the yeah. ones who have the story credit. Yeah. Yeah. But apparently I was reading about this, but apparently like she fought really hard to get a screenplay credit on this thing from like the writer's guild. I don't really know why. I don't either. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure why. All right, Scott, we've sure. we've given we've dwelled for a very long time about our general thoughts on this. Um why don't you pick Two characters to talk about, good or bad. I don't really care, which for you, it might be all bad. So <laughs> I don't know if there's much of an option for you. I'm not sure. Uh, but why don't you go ahead and pick two characters you want to talk about, and then I'll, I'll do the same. I mean, I feel like we have to mention Kingo, right? Because yeah, why not? he just is not there at the end of the movie. He just doesn't show up for the final battle. He, I don't know. I guess he was just chilling at home. But well, d- he just... Yeah, so th- this, is a, this is a plot level point, right? He leaves and says he, re- he refuses to fight his friends. So he, t- he took no side and just went home. <laughs> Scott, Great. We're, we're, a real, real hero, real hero. Um, but yeah, that that was interesting. But again, he's just he's a comic relief character. The uh, the troll moment. There, there's nothing happened. wrong with being a comic relief character, by the way. You're saying that as if that's an inherently wrong thing. Well, it is when the comic relief isn't funny. But okay, well um, that's the problem. Not that he's a comic relief yeah. character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Um, but. It it is funny that like they got Kumail all jacked for this movie and then he doesn't even fight at the end. He just goes home. Um but the the troll that was going on on film Twitter for like two weeks before this movie, when the first screening came out for Eternals, everyone just the people on film Twitter who like hate the MCU that I follow just decided that they were gonna create a bit that Kingo had Kingo dies in the Eternals and they were just gonna spoil it for everyone by just continuously tweeting about Kingo dying. So I honestly didn't know whether it was like a troll or whether it was legit. Like that it was a troll know, turned they, 
it was a troll. King Goat, King, some people do die, but King Goat does not die. Um, but yeah, I, it's it's the character is there. Um, I don't know, Scott, who I, dies? I I'm just kidding. Yes, people do die. Yeah, I mean, fair. not at the end. I, no I, one dies at the Salma end. Salma Hayek dies. I'm pretty pretty confident she dies, but she's like dead. No in the one scene though. <laughs> no one's ever really dead. So um, that's true. So yeah, there's that. But I don't know. Don Lee. Yeah, pretty dead. Kingo was a weird character just because just because he went away and then at the he shows up again at like the very end and you're like oh right he's still he didn't die there um yeah so there that was a thing um and then yeah Jimma Chan like they want her to as Cersei they really want her to be like the lead protagonist the of all this yeah the moral center of it all I, I found her pretty boring I'm gonna be honest like I don't think she brought a lot of energy to this character um yeah you know like we talked about with shang chi like um simu liu i don't think he was the strongest actor but i there was something there like he has a screen presence like he made mm -hmm. you know he made shang chi like a likable character um sure. and some someone that i actually you know w wouldn't hate to see more of um and would not hate Cersei, myself if i saw him again yeah, with with Cersei, I, I don't know. I just feel like it just it continues the run of the MCU's like integration of female characters being kind of perfunctory. Um, you know, even one of the weaker moments in Endgame being that whole, "Hey, look, here's all of the women. Look at look at how cool we are for having this many female characters in there." But really, they haven't done anything that great with any of them um yeah i'm hopeful for it's black like a wait panther, and see approach black right yeah yeah i'm hopeful for black panther 2 that we might get some good like shuri content but um yeah anti-vax you know, the t-shirt right they killed they didn't give natasha a movie until she was dead um captain marvel it was a really was not a good movie at all in my opinion um again another one that i found pretty boring um and then you just have you know a bunch of sort of assorted side characters in other movies um and you know there there are, yeah, there are a few good examples of, of you know good female characters but in general i just felt like i just feel like they they haven't really figured out what to how, how to to integrate them in a satisfying way because i don't know this cersei cersei didn't do it for me in this movie maybe to your point we'll see more in the future that is more encouraging but you know i i think the the strongest characters in here the iron man the thors you know the those um those characters even if the movies that they were in at first weren't the greatest you could tell that they had something with the character and i don't know if you could say that about cersei and a lot of these other characters for me yeah I think that might be true. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around it a little bit in that respect. Like, do like, what do I really like? Because I, so because the truth is, even though I am a big fan of the MCU now, like I didn't watch, I didn't really start watching them contemporaneously with release until 2017. So like, I, I came to a lot of these late myself, and so I have a hard time saying whether or not like, you know, Chris Hemsworth was a was a huge hit in Thor even though it didn't it took until end of 2017 or whatever to come out with a movie that everyone like sort of universally liked 
I think that's an interesting question. For me, I think that your mileage is going to vary completely on how willing you are to like take a wait and see approach with these new characters, right? Like you're talking about, you know, things like in in game feeling perfunctory with like the the you know that the women Avengers or I don't I don't there's like a team there's like a name like the good for her moment. Sure, sure, but like. To be fair, like some of those characters definitely like, okay, it depends on what you mean by earned it, right? But like, did, did the MCU like put in the work to like earn a moment like that in Endgame? Maybe not. I think some characters more so than others. Um, I'd say I think that that Scarlet Witch is like, although never a main character I, in her movie, I think she she yeah. goes through a lot of turmoil in the Avengers, you know, the Avengers movies themselves, um, even if she's not like the lead character. I think, you know, People are a bit again, like they are for the most part, with maybe the exception of Gamora, who is a lead in Guardians of the Galaxy for sure, uh, and Nebula. I think that that there are probably more secondary characters for the most part. And now I think you have to when when you look at this, you're like, how will how patient are you willing to be with Marvel to see if these types of stunts, you know, are laying seeds that they will like water and nourish and grow into things in the future and i'm not I, again i'm not even putting a judgment on like whether you should or shouldn't have that patience but i think that your willingness to accept these type of characters sort of depends on that because it is a very rare circumstance in any marvel movie where the character is a home run from the first time you see them there are some there are obvious exceptions to that i don't mean to make that a universal blanket statement but i think that i think that a lot of these characters take some time to grow um and they certainly, even the characters who are well-liked, I think usually will grow into that even more um, as well and become better liked. As for Cersei, like, I, I guess I'm just a little bit confused why Chloe Zhao or Kevin Feige or whoever makes these decisions, like, just really wanted Jimma Chan to play this. Like, she's already been in a Marvel movie. She was a, you know, a minor character in Captain Marvel. She played one of the Kree on like um brie larson's like squad at like jude law's team at the beginning of the movie called minerva like is there not a single other actress you could picture playing the role like another you know what like insert chinese actor playing the, i'm just like a little bit confused about why it had to be jimma chan who again like i'm not even sure really brought much to the role Granted, I don't think they gave her very much to work with either. Like this character, like it feels like half of the shots of this character, and I mentioned it earlier, just really long, brooding, concerned faces from her thinking about like whether she should kill billions of people or not. And like I, I just I kind of was just like, this feels so bland to me. Like I like yeah, Jimmy Chan, but this just feels so bland. You don't have Francis McDormand, who is somebody who can like make those moments actually work. Like, yeah, and I'm not no, even sure no Francis McDormand her, can make but... can make this these moments work, though. I mean, I mean that's uh, yeah, it's possible. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, talk about other characters here than you did, like Richard Madden. I think got to talk about Icarus, um, and Richard Madden's character. Supposed, like, I think supposed to be Superman. I'm not sure. I feel like he was supposed to be Superman, uh, like some Superman equivalent. He's got like the, you know, the the laser beams and the strength and the flying, the flying around. Um, and God, God, Richard Madden, what are you doing in this? Like, 
Not a good character. Uh, I'll be honest. Yeah, I'll be honest. I just don't care about him as an actor at all. Like at this point, like, yeah, I, it's such I a haven't... bummer. I loved him. He was so good in Bodyguard, uh, which is a, a limited a BBC limited series that like really, I mean, I knew him from Game of Thrones because I watched the first couple seasons back in the day. I and then saw him in Bodyguard and I'm like, this guy is on fire, like put him in more stuff. And he has like one scene in 1917. He's just in. I mean, he's in Rocket Man in a relatively. He was horrible in Rocket Man. I mean, I mean uh, that that role is horrible in Rocket Man. But yeah, my fa- my favorite role is honestly the one scene he has in 1917. I mean, they you know he plays the brother at the very end. He actually is very effective in that one scene. But yeah, otherwise, yeah. Ugh. I mean, I don't think he's been in too much else film wise. Um, is the thing, and he hasn't done any other major shows since since Bodyguard in 2018. Um, I think he's working on another BBC or Amazon Prime maybe series that's coming out sooner or later. But I'm just like a little bit confused about what his like career path is at this point because I've I loved him in Bodyguard. I mean that was one of my favorite TV shows from that year. Incredible limited series. Um, you know probably probably like the best 24 like tense show that I've watched since 24. Um, and he was a big part of that. He was a big, big part of that. And, but yeah, like super underwhelming in a lot of other stuff since then, or just not playing a significant enough roles to move the needle. Um, which is, which is a disappointment. I really like Don Lee. He's the other character I want to talk about. He's not in the movie for very long. He does get offed pretty quickly. Um, he is one of the few characters that does die in this, but I liked him. I know you said the humor didn't always feel like it, it worked for you. I feel like his humor did work for me. I liked this character. I was super bummed when he was killed off. Um, and then, you know, Barry Keoghan's jacket specifically. I have to, another shout out for that. Sure. <laughs> All right, Scott. I feel like we've honestly like we've hit a lot of points already. The act, I guess we can talk about the sort of climactic moment. I'm not even going to get into the celestial stuff. Don't worry. I'm not going to start trying to explain the the plot of the of yeah. the final act of this movie. I don't want to embarrass myself. <laughs> um, but to I don't know to simplify things, the 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 movie culminates in this you know sort of three way face off between. Crow or Cor Crow Core, I don't know. Whoever plays the deviant, um, which is voiced by Bill Skarsgård, by the way, which we haven't mentioned, I guess. Um, oh, did you not realize that? Yeah, it's Bill yeah, Skarsgård. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's voiced by Bill Skarsgård. Um, and against the Eternals, that's like Jimma Chan's side of things, who are trying to stop the celestial from being born from the Earth's core and destroying the destroying the whole planet. Um, and then Richard Madden's Icarus, and I believe Sprite is included in that, who are trying to fight the other Eternals from creating the Unimind. I said I wasn't going to get into this, but I had to just for the joke. Um, against the other Eternals. And there's this like, three-way fight on the beach in some, I don't know, volcanic island? I'm not even sure. Um but Scott, I feel like I've seen you your eyes glaze over already as I've said this. Do you have any thoughts on these climactic moments? Uh, well, we didn't talk about Sprite, who yeah, that's true. is we a about Sprite. Liam strange McKee. character. Like, 
The only reason that Sprite is there at the end is basically because she is like simps for for Icarus. Like she's like in love with Icarus. Like that's her art, the whole movie. Um, is that she's jealous of um she's jealous of Cersei because she's had this past relationship with Icarus. Which is I feel like really you're making weird. it a little more basic than it came off for me. Like I feel like it's a little bit more complex than that, but yeah, yeah, no, it, because she wants to be human, right? Like that's yeah. that's more of her thing. She wants to. Be she human. wants to live. She wants to feel like she's living. But she's like, I I just felt weird about like her talking about how she's like again she's jealous of Cersei for because she's like twelve, thirteen. I mean, she looks like she's like thirteen years old. Like the actress is um, fifteen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and obviously, you know, it's it's not that's not the case because there are all of them are 7, thousands of years, years old, old yeah. but um it, it does it is a, no it, it feels weird. of it are weird yeah, yeah. um every so other like 12 I, I year old girl in the world fawning over richard madden yeah and, and i just i just felt like i don't really understand other than uh, right other than that she's just she's just in love with icarus why she goes with him at the end um because i don't like I, yeah, I I don't feel like her her philosophy really links up with what he is trying to do. Yeah, I, I think her movie, philosophy right? is more around like she's so like she's just been so sad on Earth for thousands of years now. Like maybe she mm-hmm. enjoyed it for a while, but she's just so sad that she wants to move on to the next world. Yeah, that's that 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 probably you're probably right about that. That probably is. Um, you know, but ultimately what she wants is to be human and like, yeah, put an end point on her life, which yeah. is an a, kind of an interesting idea, but they don't really brought up at the very end, though. Yeah, it yeah. It, it, it totally is. It's brought up. And also the, the power of the Unimind can make her human. <laughs> I mean, what on earth? What the hell? <laughs> if you say so. Yeah, there's something very ironic, too, about her, like wanting to become human and wanting to have an end point on her life. And yet this character is part of a franchise that like is premised that, that on has killed that there will the always be more, that there will always be more, right? Like that there is no end in sight. So I can't wait for season know, two of what if, when it's like, what if Sprite and Icarus were together all along or something like that? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll be skipping that episode as I have done with all the what if episodes thus far. So What's the name of the Celestial at the end? I don't even know why I'm asking you. I don't. I can't even tell you why I'm asking you at all. Uh, yeah, no. I'm just like imagine like if that what, comes what... up in trivia at some point. I will happily lose. Happily, okay. I'll text. I'll text Boatman. Um... Please do. <laughs> Scott, we haven't even mentioned the name of Angelina Jolie. I think. <laughs> oh, that's right. She's so in this movie. Far. Not only is she in it, but she somehow doesn't die. <laughs> Spoilers. She does not die she, in this movie. She is there at the I'm end. I'm so confused on why she is in this movie. Like, why Why this role? Like, why is she not Cersei? I would be totally fine with her being Cersei. Like, I, th- I think she's cool. But, like, such a strange role for her to be in. It really movie. is. Also, like... Man, I don't know. I don't know what energy Angelina Jolie is bringing to anything these days, but it is weird. It is a weird energy. Like I mean, this. I liked her in that Taylor Sheridan movie. Well, gonna, but even in that, she's but... bringing like a weird energy in, in that movie. Like not again, not a value judgment on the quality of it, but just like a very off-putting energy 
to that film where she's like, you want me to kill you, kid? To like like the 12 year old <laughs> whatever in the movie. Like, it's such yeah. a strange energy that she's bringing in. She brings it here too. like, I don't know what vibe she's going for, honestly, but it's a vibe and it's just off putting to me. Just totally forgot she was in the movie for like that. Really, just I mean that just says it all. I feel like I I, I don't think we need to say any more. To be honest with you. Yeah. All right, Scott. Um, if you don't have any more thoughts, we can talk about the post credit scenes. Um, which I have some funny stories about, but um, the first post credit scene is, you know, this is after the end of the movie, right? Where Cersei and King go and. Did he take Sprite too, or does Sprite get excluded from this? I don't even remember. Oh, he, I think Sprite's she, there. Sprite's, I don't think Sprite's there, actually, because it's fastest. It takes fastest with them. Um, I think it's just the three of them, maybe. Maybe Sprite's there. I don't know. She's human, though, so, you know, just kill her. It doesn't even matter. Um, but they're taken by Arisham, who they've betrayed. And they may live, they may not live, but they're going to be put on trial for something. So they're gone. Um, and But on the Doma, which is the eternal ship, where Angelina Jolie's Thena and... Barry Keoghan's Druig and Lauren Ridloff's Makari are, they're like flying through space because I don't even know what they're doing when they fly off. I guess they just didn't want to be on Earth anymore, which, you know, fair enough. A lot of people they're don't want to be on Earth anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're, going, they're going to meet up the Guardians, I guess. Um, and all of a sudden, just literally out of nowhere, no idea how this happens at all, but a couple people pop out of some like dimensional bubble. The first is a gnome. Voiced by Patton Oswald? What? <laughs> Absolutely. A legend. pretty bad CGI character, if I'm being honest with you. The CGI looks a little rough on that. Uh, I, I didn't notice, mainly because I was just losing my mind over the fact that Ratatouille is in this movie. Um, but <laughs> Remy, I mean, send it, baby. We need Remy in the MCU. Get him in. <laughs> Bundle him in somehow. But the crazy part, and I had I had seen a tweet about this the previous or some like tweet the previous day about how Chloe Zhao had has had her eye on Harry Styles since his since he was in Dunkirk, and I was like, this is such a fucking random tweet. Like, why is why am I reading about Harry Styles in a Chloe Zhao interview like the day before? And then he like pops out, and he's Thanos's brother, Eros, um, and is you know joining up with them. And this got so many oohs and ahs out of my crowd because this clearly was a surprise to them so much so that a couple guys over from me at the end of the scene was like, who is that? And I'm like, Oh my Lord, this is amazing. Uh, I literally would not know this if not for Dunkirk. Cause I would have no idea what Harry Styles looks like otherwise, but I was able to inform him that it was Harry Styles. Um, and which he proceeded to go, Oh, <laughs> so yeah, that's about that right. had a lot of effect on him. Clearly if he didn't <laughs> recognize him. It probably did not mean anything to him. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Um, but yeah, there was, you know, I, sorry, it wasn't a gnome. It's uh, Pat Oswald voices Pip the troll. So I guess he's like a tiny troll. I'm not sure. Um, the trolls universe has crossed over. Well, I was about to say, he does actually look like some of those characters from trolls world tour. So maybe that is actually right. Um, but this got a couple laughs. I thought it was cool. I guess, um, star Fox means nothing to me, which is the name of Thanos's brother. Um, but cool. I guess Harry Styles is going to be. In the next Eternals movie is maybe going to have a standalone movie. I don't know. Who who cares? Chloe Zhao really wants to direct another MCU movie, though, Scott. Just so you know. She said so herself. <laughs> she would love to return anytime <laughs> Kevin Feige wants no. her. Yeah. And then the last no. post credit scene. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to move past these groans. The last scene is uh, 
Kit Harrington actually getting to be in the movie for a change. And when he's uh it he is Scott, this means absolutely nothing to you, but Dane Whitman is canonically in the comics a character called the Black Knight, which is not to be confused with Oscar Isaac's character in an upcoming MCU TV show, Moon Knight. Moon Knight, different, right. different Knight. This is the Black Knight, um, and he does have ties to another MCU uh, or soon-to-be MCU character that we already know about. Scott, I don't know if you did the did the Lord's work and did the research to understand whose voice was in the background of the scene or not. Oh, it's Chris Pratt, right? Chris Pratt. I thought it was. You thought that was Chris I Pratt? Some, I, I did not think it was anyone, but I thought I saw oh. some random tweets about that. But. Oh, was it, no, it, okay. if that was, was the case, someone was trolling you. I think that might have been a joke about Chris Pratt voicing everything. There was stuff point. on Chris Pratt going around, and maybe I just mixed. I got my wires crossed okay. or something. No, the, Scott, the, the, that voice who... So anyway, to set the scene up, it is Dane Whitman, who is Kit Harrington's character, um, at, his, at, like, at a desk looking at this sword this like looks like this familial like this heirloom some ancient sword which is the black knight sword there's a lot of comic book lore history back around that you can go look it up yourself I'm not going to explain it here but the sword has a blood curse essentially and that's why it is doing all this weird stuff like it has this sort of condensation on it that moves and sort of pulses um with its owner and in the background there's a voice that just says are you sure you're ready for that and that's Mahershala Ali's blade. Mm. And there is a yeah, there is some connections between the two characters in the comics. Um, and so it appears that Kit Harrington is going to be in the Blade movie, which is coming out in the next year. Well, I'm glad the Blade is still happening because that is one of people the... were starting to worry about that, I feel like. Yeah. Because there's just that is one on that it. I'm actually I'm actually looking forward to it right now, but then again, who knows? I was looking forward to Eternals at this point last year too, but I I don't care about this other stuff. Like I, Thanos's brother being in there just feels like means nothing. Well, me. look now, n- now we're doing what every other franchise is doing, which is when we run out of ideas, we're just going to make somebody have a family member that shows up. Well, no, no, uh, that, that's a real comic book character, but yeah, I had, I understand that. I understand that. And that's perfectly fine, but um, it still just has a, a tiredness about it. I'm, I'm just tired. Um, and we still have, we still have one more movie to go. Now it is Spider-Man, but um, yeah. We'll see. Yeah. So start. So that yeah, that is true. Also, just to go back briefly, I actually think that Star Fox, Thanos's brother, might actually have appeared in the comics before Thanos, um, which is a little bit crazy, maybe. But he is actually associated with the Eternals, um, which we don't need to get into MCU comic lore about no, Eternals and, and humans and stuff. So we'll stop it there, Scott. All right. Um, favorite scene or moment from Eternals? Not the Eternals. Eternals. Um, I guess towards the beginning when there's a fight that ha- the, like the first fight that happens when they're in London oh, um, yeah. and Jimma Chan turns a bus into Rose a double decker bus. She like does her thing on it and it becomes like flower petals or something. Yeah. I, Rose, I, Rose I, petals. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was cool. Such a dis again, not surprising at all. It's all in the it's all in the trailer, Scott. Just disappointing when you have stuff yep. like that in the trailer. It's just so people gotta stop doing that. Speaking of speaking of in the trailer, fall collection IKEA. Somebody needs to do a uh, a <laughs> video of the people in the bar reacting to fall collection IKEA. Because, oh, that uh, would be amazing. Oh, 
It has been. It has been the joke of the. It has been 84 years. It has been sweeping the nation this entire year, really. Fall Collection Ikea. What amazes me, Scott, and this is what I mean, like, okay, I know that I'm not the average person. I've seen the Eternals trailer 50 times, probably, from all the movies that I see. And it's always the last trailer before every movie that I've seen in the last six months. I've seen it a ton of times. But the, the fact that people are still laughing at that joke, which I thought it was funny the first time I heard it. I'll be honest. Like if I if I saw if I heard that in the movie for the first time, having not heard it 50 times in trailers before, I would have laughed. I absolutely would have laughed. But how have people how are people still laughing at this joke? I just like don't understand. It is so oversaturated. People just aren't aren't woke to like what is going on in the movie world. I mean, that's all I can figure. Like they but just like don't this go trailer to has to have shown like a thousand times on TV. The whole thing. I mean, just it would have just been a TV spot. I don't know if that yeah. has fall collection IKEA. And although, why? Maybe. I mean, you know, if you have a bit that good, why would you not just put it, you know, everywhere? Obviously, I don't know. Save it for the movie. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, I, I just, I feel so in my core, so strongly that that gotta stop doing this with trailers, man. We gotta stop doing this, Scott. That's the moral imperative for the for the industry. We gotta stop doing this in trailers. Yeah. Um, yeah, favorite scene or moment for me. Uh, there was a time where I thought I would just joke and say my favorite scene or moment was the one that I missed at the beginning. Um, but I've decided to steer away, steer away from doing that. I did like you, you I think you might have briefly mentioned it earlier. I did like what the scene where Jimmy Chan turns the deviant into a tree mm. purely face value, absolutely no idea how that happens to start with, literally no explanation given at the end about why she was able to do that they're or like, anything how, in the how future. Did you do that? How did you do that? Yeah, I totally forgot about that. They're like, what? how did you do that? She's like, I don't know. And then but that's not explored it. in the future. She's just yeah, like, I'm more powerful it. now, guys. Guess what I can do? Um, So silly. But face value, that was a really cool moment. Um, And yeah, Barry Keegan's black leather jacket, man. I'm here for it all day. It's this year's Connell's chain for me. It really is. All right. You say so. Yeah, I I say so, Scott. I feel strongly about this. I don't know why I can't explain it. I just I know how I feel. I know how I feel about this about Barry Keegan and his dream. black leather jacket. All right, out of ten, what are you giving the Eternals? It's gonna be low. I can Three, feel it in my bones. Three point five. It's oh, a bad shit. movie. Three point five. Oh, very yeah. little redeeming qualities about it. Barry Keegan's black leather jacket was redeeming enough for me, I guess. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Uh, I'm not as low, but that won't surprise people. Um, 4.9. 4.9 for me. All right. Let's take a short break. And when we return, we have some news to discuss somehow. Uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. As mentioned before the break, we do have some news for you. Scott, there's some news about Margaret Qualley and Joe Alwyn. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, there's actually been a weird sort of relationship thing because um, They're Joe Alwyn dates Taylor Swift. Uh, yeah, that was really where I was going with this joke. But uh, dates Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift uh, has her albums produced by Jack Antonoff. 
and Jack Antonoff uh, dates Margaret Qualley. So, um, yeah, there's a real six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing going on. But outside of that, uh, Joe Alwyn and Margaret Qualley are going to be starring in a new movie, uh, a new A24 movie, I believe, from director Claire Denis, um, very acclaimed French director of Beau Travail. And, um, what's the other movie that? is really famous that she did but more, most recently she did high life the robert, robert pattinson, pattinson yeah film um but uh yeah she is going to be making uh this movie um which has the title the stars at noon um yep. it sounds like it's kind of a romantic maybe sort of spy type movie which is something a little different from claire denis i think you know she tends to be a pretty avant-garde um certainly filmmaker uh, I know you saw High Life. I didn't, but it certainly seemed to be. And there still there. could be that sentiment in it, probably, I'd imagine. Sure. Yeah. I, I can't imagine that Claire Denis is going to make, you know, just a down the middle. Tinker film. Taylor Soldier Spy. <laughs> yeah, his, exactly. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, these are two young actors. I mean, I'll be honest, Joe Elwin. I mainly only care about because he's dated dates Taylor Swift. He's like C tier at best, right? Like, yeah, we did see him earlier this year in a Netflix movie called the last letter from your lover, um, in which he played Shailene Woodley's husband, not a super memorable movie, not a super memorable performance. Um, I watched that movie and I forgot about it until you mentioned it just now. He was in it. Uh, he was in the film. He was, um, it's true. Margaret Qualley, on the other hand, though, I think is definitely her stock is is really rising. She just did Made on Netflix, which has been one of the biggest shows um, that Netflix has had this year and um, is getting her a lot of awards buzz. And of course, you know, she's already she was nominated a year or two ago for Fosse Burton. So um, I guess maybe her TV stuff has been the biggest so far. Um, And obviously you go back to The Leftovers, one of my favorite shows, but um so she's certainly the higher profile she, tv roles than than yes. film roles yeah but you know film film wise once upon a time in hollywood has probably been her biggest role to date um she you know she played pussycat in um in that film from a couple of years ago and i thought was very good in the film um i i've enjoyed her work in the things that i've seen and it sounds like in the things that i haven't seen you know she's she's been excellent so um I think, you know, uh, uh, all things considered, a, a, a good cast, a good couple of names, um, kind, kind of the tier of actors you would expect to be in an A24 film. Um, Taron Egerton was supposed to be in this movie originally. Joe Allen replaced Taron Egerton in this. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't have a, a ton of feelings about that switch. I'm not like the world's biggest Taron Egerton feel fan I, either. But um, Well, I was just saying that more because, like, he – doesn't feel like the kind of, that's the yeah he does actor right, that yeah. isn't well a forget being an a24 isn't a claire denis movie i don't know like that is the yeah he's been in i mean two well not not uh, i almost said two franchises rocket man isn't a franchise but yes. in, in a sense it is because it's part of the fletcher verse the dexter fletcher verse but um, although dexter fletcher barely has even he didn't even get the credit for for uh bohemian Bo Rhapsody. Rhapsody. yeah i think it still went to brian singer but um but yeah, I mean, obviously, he has the Kingsman movies too. But uh, yeah, maybe this will be a you know a breakout for Joe Alwyn, and maybe this will help Margaret Qualley's stock continue to rise. Um, I we'll yeah, see. I have I mean, trouble wrapping my head around a Claire Denis movie being a breakout hit for anyone. Although that is sort of like the level that, to your point, that's sort of the level 
that Joe Alwyn's like playing at in terms of like if he performs well and gets, you know, this sort of airtime or publicity around this type of role, that is a big deal for him because that's the kind of movies he's trying to do. It seems like I mean, he he was a support like a very a relatively minor supporting role in the Yorgos Lanthimos film a few years ago, and he just does on and off things like here and there. He just he's pops up randomly. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so you know, hitting it on a Claire Denis movie could be, and that could be big for him, right? That feels pretty big for him. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it will get him talked about in film Twitter cinephile circles, and then that, to your point, could lead to something bigger. Bad news for the for the T Swift relationship, probably if he does get bigger. Yeah, there is that. But we'll always have the song Peace, which is a great song. Yes, indeed. All right. And then other news story this week is thematic only in that I saw Red Notice yesterday. Um, and that movie does star Gal Gadot. And there is some some casting news for Gal Gadot that she is going to be playing the evil queen in Disney's live action remake of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Um, Scott looks like he's having an aneurysm on the screen as I talk about it. Uh, Scott, you know, I had this this revelation yesterday when I was watching Red Notice that of which I don't think it is a spoiler to say Gal Gadot is one of the like villains of the film um, antagonists of the movie. And I had this idea where, you know, having watched the Wonder Woman movies now, having watched the Fast and Furious movies that she's in, having watched, you know, other things here and there, Red Notice, for example, this weekend. You know, and I've decided that one, I actually don't think Gal Gadot's a particularly good actress. Um, and two, I think that what she where she is able to excel maybe is having these like really off-putting, quirky-ish type roles, which I think is why the first Wonder Woman movie is like kind of works really yeah. well for her. And why Red Notice in some ways like does kind of work too. Cause I think she can spin that sort of like almost bad timingness of her like deliveries into something that kind of works in a villain role. Like I actually like Loki thinks she's like kind of a good villain. Um, and I wonder if she can actually be like a pretty good evil queen in snow white. I mean, she has, I mean like, look like obviously she's extremely attractive and the whole deal with being, you know, the, the evil queen is that like, you're very vain and like, you want to steal the looks you want to be the most beautiful, you know, woman in the realm sort of, sort of thing. And I kind of think that Gal Gadot could do that. So I'm like kind of intrigued by this casting um, overall. Yeah, I got to say, like, like she maybe I'll see something in the future that convinces me otherwise. But she is such a one note actress. Like she wasn't good in Wonder Woman 1984, in my opinion, when sort of the yeah. roles were reversed on between her and Chris Pine. She wasn't good in anything other than this sort of very almost boxed in type role in, in, in Red Notice. But I wonder if maybe they can carve out something with this evil queen role that actually does kind of fit her abilities. As long as she doesn't sing Imagine, then that will be totally fine with me. But, um, Scott, I just want to say, you don't have to lie to us and act like Red Notice is a real movie. We know it's not a real movie. Um, but it is I a real movie, Scott, and I'll have you know, it is not 120 pluser. It is less than 120 minutes. Wow, did Netflix cut a movie for once? Uh, I, I I can't believe it. But yeah. Um, yeah. I'm with you, Scott. I don't think she's a very good actress either. Um, I I definitely don't 
super care about this movie. Um, well, I can't imagine that you would, given it's also a Disney live action movie. <laughs> never even seen the original, actually, which is, I know it's what? blasphemous, but... Um, I mean, I don't yeah. really care at the end of the day. I'm just, like, shocked I mean, it's, that you haven't seen it. Yeah, I mean, it is, like, the birth of the animated film. I mean, it yeah. was, like, the first one, so... I mean, like, I, look, I don't really care whether you've seen it or not. I'm just surprised you haven't. Do we know who's playing Snow White? I don't know. Let me click. Is on it a no, is it a no name? It probably is, right? <laughs> um, I don't know. Who do you want to play Snow White? Scott, Annie Taylor Joy. <laughs> uh, Rachel Ziegler. Even... Rachel. You know, I think I actually think hey, Rachel Ziegler's playing Snow White. Okay. Yeah. I actually think that Haley the Richardson would make a great Snow White, but she's probably too old at this point. But um, is she? She's twenty four. That's not too old. That's not too. She's old older than that, I think. I assume that she's the same age as Florence Pugh, but I think you're right. I think she's a little bit older than Florence Pugh. Well, Rachel Ziegler is having a moment because she's going to be in West Side Story. So, um, I, I'm just not looking forward to that movie at all. Like, I know it's Spielberg. I know it's like could, probably couldn't be me. Say. Couldn't be me. I'm definitely looking forward to it. It, it looks great. I, I just want you to know that in, in the year of our Lord 2021, you're excited about an Ansel Elgort movie. I was in, excited for The Goldfinch as well in 2019. Um, oh, you're setting yourself up for the, for the kill here. <laughs> I did not hate the goldfinch. I did not, but yeah, I, I mean, oh, that was not a good. I movie always, I, I will say, whenever the trailer plays for West Side Story, I'm always like, oh yeah, this looks so good. And then like halfway through, the, she sees Ansel Elgort for the first time, and I'm like, oh right, this guy, um, <laughs> this kid. So there is that. But I'm. Are you prepared for another 160 movie? It's, I mean, I would expect that though from West Side Story. I mean, the original is like that same length, so like I mean, it's Romeo and Juliet, right? It's justifiable. It. it is justifiable. I don't care if a movie is that long if it is justifiable. But there's no freaking reason that No Time to Die or Eternals should be two hours and forty minutes. Like, I'm sorry, there's just not. Yeah, they should be longer. You're right. <laughs> All right, gotta get out of here before Scott strokes out live on air. Um, <laughs> that should do it for episode 165. Do you have any parting thoughts to leave us with today? Uh, it's basketball season. Go balls. Sure. Sure. Why not? Uh, where can people find you on Twitter and on Letterboxd? I'm at Scarby Dent on both. And I'm at Shelton 2013 on both as well. You can also check out our podcast on our podcast, Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash media plug pods. Check it out for yourself. There's a bunch of different tiers. If you can support us there, we would really appreciate that. But if not, that's okay. You can still find us everywhere. You find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. And that will do it. We'll be back next week with a sort of rapid fire, super cut review episode where we'll be doing something a little different, doing shorter reviews of four movies, Spencer, Belfast, The Harder They Fall, and The French Dispatch. So there's a lot to look forward to for next week. Something we're excited about sort of experimenting with. Uh, I don't think that we will be doing it very often, but when it does make sense to be doing those types of episodes, I think that uh, this will be sort of test to see whether we enjoy it or not. So keep an eye out for that next week. But until then, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time. See you down the road. Yeah.